I want to share with you uh, something. I don't have a title for this. I'll be starting a series next week, but I want to just share with you some thoughts um, out of the Word of God today. Something that just kind of popped in my heart out of John chapter number six. Give me a moment to read it to you. John chapter number six, starting in verse one. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd followed him. Verse four, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing what a large crowd was coming toward him, that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he knew what he would do. Verse seven, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. And one of the disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy. Somebody say there is a boy. Here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they to, to so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, and so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given things, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. In verse 12, and when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost, that nothing may be lost. Um, I guess a good place to start was on late Friday night, my son wanted to watch a movie, and uh, so we went and turned on a movie that he picked, and it was Jurassic Park. Come on, somebody. Now, the best Jurassic Park is the one that we watched, and it was the first Jurassic Park. That's the best one. And, and so we watched Jurassic Park, the whole thing. You know, he's seven years old, and we enjoyed the murder and the killing and the death. And, and, and finally, when we got to the end of the movie, what I found fascinating was that at the end of every movie, I should say, what I found interesting this particular time is the movie ends and I started watching the credits just roll by, roll by, roll by. And it was hundreds of names. And I began to think about, I began to think about how in that movie, I may know some actors or actresses by face, maybe a couple by name. We know the director, Steven Spielberg, but if I were honest, all of these names scrolling by, these supports, the support staff, the support team, the support actors and actresses and that made the movie possible, I've never seen these names. I never heard of these names. But they were all key players to making this movie transpire. I don't know if you're like me, but like if you're watching those, it will say something like cab driver number one, stunt double number three. And you're like, I don't even know what any of this is, but there's a name and it mattered and they played a role into making this production take place. I think that's what happens in this particular story. I'm sure many stories in the Bible, but in this particular story, we kind of focus on other characters. We focus on, um, we focus on the crowd. There's a lot of people there that day and one of the greatest miracles ever recorded. Uh, we focus on the disciples, we focus on the miracle, but, but, but for just a moment, I think we need to take a minute and focus on somebody who's just barely mentioned, 
In fact, out of the four Gospels that record this miracle, this is one of two miracles that are recorded by all four Gospels, the other one being the resurrection of Jesus Christ in this particular, this particular miracle. It's a big deal when it happens. And out of the four Gospels, only John mentions this one player, and it's that little boy. And I want you to know today that I believe that God, like that little boy, has you and made you on purpose for a purpose, that you don't just live to exist and to get through and to make money and to retire. No, no, God has put you on this earth for a reason, that, that you can have a purpose-filled life. And I want you to know something, God wants to use you. I don't think a lot of people believe that. I don't think a lot of people see themselves as something that, or somebody that God wants to use. I think most people can look at me or, or Pastor Tyson or the worship team and say God uses them. But can I tell you today, God doesn't just use preachers and singers and missionaries he uses business owners, single moms. He uses people that are just working day-to-day -day jobs at the factory. He uses, and he wants to use everybody. Are you with me? Uh, Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork. We are, everybody. Created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I think for just a few moments today, I want to take some time and really focus in on this young history maker. I haven't heard a lot of sermons on the little boy the day of this miracle. And I think there are a few things that we could look at today that we could apply to our own lives if we're going to be somebody that God uses in this life. Are you ready? All right, write this down. Number one, he was a Jesus follower. He was following Jesus. He was following Jesus. Now, I know this is simple, and this is profound, but not everybody who goes to church is following Jesus. That not everybody who on their Instagram page, on their bio, has a scripture is actually following Jesus. <laughs> Just because they shared something on their Facebook page of an angel holding a puppy does not mean, come on, talk back to me, that they're following Jesus. The Bible says in John chapter 6, verse 2, a large crowd was following Jesus. The Bible says they were following him because they'd seen the miracles that he's done and they were listening to the teachings that he was sharing. This little boy was following Jesus. What I find is that there are a lot of people who find Jesus useful but don't really follow him. Jesus is useful when you need him, like, like, like when you got a cop behind you and the blue lights start rolling. Come on, how many of you know that's prayer time right there? Better call on the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> that, that's the time right there, because and that's what happens. Jesus is useful. We call on Jesus when we need him. We, and that's all good, and God's not mad about it, but the problem is many of us are calling God when we're in trouble, but if we were following him, we may have avoided the trouble. Now, following Jesus means to make a faith commitment. It means to make him Lord and Savior of your life. It means that we adjust to him, not him adjust to us. It is saying that he is king, he is superior, and what he says 
goes. And if I'm going to follow him, i got to adjust my lifestyle to follow him. The Bible says that, actually Jesus said, uh, if any man desire to come after me, let him pick up his cross and follow me. Jesus is giving the depiction that following me is a painful experience. I know that don't preach good. People don't like that. That don't like, that's probably not going to get a bunch of shares on social media. This will not be a preaching clip on Facebook this week. But the truth is that if we're going to follow God, the Bible says that any man in Christ crucifies the passions and desires of his flesh. That as we follow him, he is changing us into something. It's the different mentality than following Jesus to get something. We follow Jesus to become something. Are you with me? John 15, verse 5. Jesus says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. We're talking about being used by God today. Those who remain in me and I in him will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing apart from me. I need to be the central focal point of power in your life. That when you lift and you move away from me, you're going to see how not productive you are without me. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate. In my house, I have, like you, Wi-Fi. And we have a router that is centralized in our house. And in the upstairs room, I have uh, an office away from everybody, away from the kids and away from the noise. And, and my iPad is not, it is a Wi-Fi only iPad. I don't have the iPad that, that has cellular option. I just have the Wi-Fi. So the thing is, if I don't have Wi-Fi, I can't, I can't do anything with this as much as I want to do when I'm working online. Here, here's my point. Up in that office space, there are times that I cannot get a good connection. And the reason being is that I am apart from the source. And when I am apart from the source, I can do nothing. But this week, glory to God, I got fiber. I got fiber. And fiber internet, they came in, they, and I, they, they, they put the, the modem in, and then they put these things in called boosters. How many of you got a booster in your house? Anybody? A booster is when the signal is not strong enough to get to one point of the house, they put this booster in to strengthen the Wi-Fi signal to that part of the house. So now I'm in that part of the room, and I can do what I couldn't do before because the source and me are connected. Are you with me? There are too many Christians trying to do something on their own, and they've gotten out a Wi-Fi signal, they've gotten out of church, they've gotten out of their Bible, they've gotten out, and they're still trying to raise a family, still trying to figure out how to be saved. Still trying to start that business, but can I tell you something? Jesus said, apart from me, you're compromising effectiveness when you are out of my signal. Am I helping anybody? So he was a follower. He was within the, the Wi-Fi signal. Obviously, he was close. Or they wouldn't have found him so quick. Here's what we also know about the boy. Not only was he a follower of Jesus, but that he was seemingly insignificant. Matthew chapter 14, verse 21. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides the women and children. So that gives us a total of 15,000 to 20,000 people that were there that day. Now listen, the number of men listed 
were listed because in the Jewish culture of the day, men and women and children did not eat together. Men ate in one place, women ate in another with the children. Women and children were not qualified to be counted. That's just how they did it. In that culture, they didn't value them the way that they are valued today. So listen, I find it interesting that this child, hear me today, a little boy that wasn't counted by others was exactly the person that God decided to use to bring about the greatest miracle recorded in Scripture other than the resurrection. Hear me today. God uses people that other people just don't count. God uses people like David. You remember the story of David? That the prophet Samuel, God tells him, go anoint a new king of Israel. And the prophet goes into the house of Jesse, and Jesse brings out all the boys, brings the tall ones out, the good-looking ones out, the ones that work in the farm, the ones that bail hay, the thick ones, the strong ones, the good-looking ones. And, and, and the Bible says, the prophet's like, it's got to be this one. Look at that jawline. going to work good. That jawline's going to work. And watch what happens. God corrects the prophet and says, don't look on the outward appearance. He said, look at the, he said, what I'm looking for cannot be quantified by exterior things. I am not looking for what you can see. I'm looking at things you cannot see. I will count on who people count out. David comes in and they pour the oil on him. Why? Because God doesn't need you to be noticed by others to be called by God. Think about Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the prostitute, I mean, that's not even a good resume. That's not a good, that's her last name in the Bible. <laughs> but God used her. People like Moses, stuttering problem. And God says, I'm gonna call you to be my public speaker. No offense to, to Moses, but I don't think that would be who I would call to do my talking, to represent me. Moses not only stuttered, but the man was also a fugitive on the run from killing somebody. I'm telling you, if you put it in your application in that vibrant church and you say, hey, listen, I killed somebody. Can I be one of your pastors? Be like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you can help Pastor Tommy. <laughs> he needs a little help. Maybe you can help him. But the truth is that there are times in life that, that, that people will count you out, but God counts you in. Can I get a big amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 says, Rather, God chose the foolish of the world to shame the wise, and God chose the weak of the world to shame the strong. Let me read that in the message uh, paraphrase translation. It says this. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies that makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything we have, right thinking, right living, a clean slate, a fresh start comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're gonna blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. 
What this verse is implying, two things. Number one, God will count those in that others count out. And also, you can't think of yourself too seriously if you want God to use you. You can't have a, a, a really high estimation of your personal importance if you want God to use you. It's not thinking of ourselves less or thinking less of ourselves. It's just thinking of ourselves less. God will not use those who want to be important, talk back to me, who want to feel like they're a big dog, who want to look like they're somebody. Well, Pastor Ethan, I, I don't know, that's kind of me. Well, let me just tell what the Bible says. The Bible says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I want you to look at this in the story. The Bible says that he passes 5,000 men and goes to a little boy that has five fish or five pieces of bread and two fish. And God came to that kid and the kid was like, hey, listen, I don't care if anybody knows my name. I don't care if I don't get the solo. I don't care if anybody puts my name in lights. I don't care if I'm on the Instagram page. I don't care if I'm noticed by others. I don't care if the Bible writes my name or not. All I want to see is God do something great. You can take what I have. Maybe the reason some of us are not seeing God do great things through us is because we got too much ego in the way of God. And if we could get ourselves out of the way, God can do great things through us. But the Bible teaches that we gotta humble ourselves. You know that's what the Bible says, right? I've heard people say, God has humbled me. Oh, God has humbled me. And I get what they're saying. They've been through some stuff that brought them to a place of dependency on God. But what they're really needing to know is I went through a situation where I chose to humble myself because at the end of the day, God can't even humble you. You gotta humble yourself. In other words, a situation can make you hard or it can make you soft. And when you go through situations, you're gonna have to choose. I am not the, I'm not the king of my story. God's gonna have to be the king of my life and you're gonna have to humble yourself. Are you still with me? You know, I, I said this last service, I'll say it again. You know, when I hire people, I, I, I'm looking for certain qualifications like, you know, competency, uh, character, integrity, those things all matter. Consistency, presentation, it all matters. But you know, the number one thing that I'm trying to detect when I'm meeting with somebody to bring them on payroll, when I'm meeting with somebody to make them an influencer, when I'm meeting with somebody to bring them into a new place in the church or things like this, that I'm always listening to the heart. I'm listening for humility and arrogance. Because if they're, if they're arrogant, they're not teachable. And when people are not teachable, you cannot lead them. And when people are not teachable, I know this, I can't lead them at their work because I'm fairly certain they're not led by the Holy Ghost in their life. Because there's too much pride in the way and there's these people that say, oh, me and, me and the, I'm just listening to what the Holy Spirit said. I just want to know what God wants me to do. I'm all about that. But they also avoid mentors and tough, challenging conversations and people that can question them. And they just say, no, me and God's got it. No, you have created a version of God that complies to your arrogance. 
That came out of nowhere, and I felt it. Just, oh, John Boggs, I was right there. All right, let me keep working here. You guys good? He was a follower of Jesus. Um, he, was, he was seemingly insignificant, and lastly, he was willing to surrender what he had. This is, this is the keys to being used by God. John chapter six, it says, one of the disciples, Andrew Simon's brother, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. What are they to so many? This five barley loaves, barley was of the poverty level of food. Nobody would have been eating that if you had uh, more well-to-do resources, but this young kid obviously comes maybe from a big family or a poor family, and all he had was just these little tiny loaves. They've been more like saltine crackers in reality. And then he has just two fish, and the fish would have been like sardines that were pickled, they believe. So this is a very meager lunch for this little kid. But the crowd is hungry, and Jesus says that we need food, and this little kid says that you can, you can take mine. You can take mine. This kid surrenders what he has. Now, I want you to think about this. If every one of us in this room right now, and it's about lunchtime here in a little bit, and, and you get a little hungry, and, and I said, hey, listen, guys, uh, for everybody today, I got all of us this one bag of Captain D's. But don't worry. I got five hush puppies and two fish dinner in here. <laughs> Come on, anybody been to Captain D's before? Y'all acting like, you? oh, I would never. You eat Captain D's, don't lie. Don't you lie. Now listen, if I literally said, hey guys, this section, you wanna come up first, let's just take a little piece. Right? And people would look at this and say, what's the point in this? There's obviously not enough. But something in that little boy was not deterred by the amount that he had. Because listen, we, we restrict what God can do when we focus on what we do not have. And we release what God can do when we surrender what we do have. When God wants to do something supernatural, he's not looking for people who are focused on their lack and what I can't do and what we can't, uh, what we can't accomplish and what, what resources we don't have. Can I tell you something, Vibrant Church? God is looking for a church that's not sitting here looking at this saying, well, you know, I, I, we can't afford it, and oh, I don't know why we got all these missionaries all over the world, and oh, I don't know why we're, why we're looking into advancing the kids' area, and why we're spending all that money on parking, and I don't get it, and I, I don't, can I tell you something? If all we do is look at what we don't have, God will never release what he does have. We can't be a church that's looking at it saying, I'm just gonna withhold and it's just, let's keep it safe and I'm just gonna keep my lunch. God is looking for a church that is hungry to say, you know what, I wanna see God do something so significant so I'll give what I don't, what, I, what little I have and I know that God will bless the little I give. There's a lot of people that won't tithe. 
You know why? The Bible teaches tithe is giving one-tenth of our income to the house of God to, to, to keep the kingdom of God moving forward. And it's also to, tr- to tell God that you trust him. The number 10 means to test us. God tests us with tithing because if he could test you with money, he could trust you with anything else. Trust me with that. Because the last thing to convert on a person is the wallet. And if God can get to your wallet, the Bible says it's connected to your heart. The reason a lot of people don't want to ever tithe is because they say, this is just, it's all I have. What is this to so many? I, I, got, I, got, I got to feed my family. And God said, test me. And I'll do more with the 90 that you keep than the 100 that you would have kept. Trust me. Look at this. Can I tell you something? There are so many of you that God is challenging you to just give that little bit, not talking about finances at this point, I'm talking about your dream. Talking about that little bit, you think it's just so insignificant and it's hard to trust God with that business plan. It's hard to trust God with that dream in your heart. It's hard to trust God with your family. It's hard to trust God with your marriage. It's hard, it's just a little bit. What what is this to so many? You know, I feel like this every single week. I'm being being honest with you. I don't think people believe me when I tell you this. Every single week when I put a sermon together to come speak to you, I feel so insecure. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if it's going to fit. I don't know if you guys are going to resonate with it. I don't know if it's going to minister to you. You could ask my wife. I I don't get up on Saturday morning, and when I'm putting it together, I don't say, baby girl, come in here. This one's a hot one this weekend. I never come in like, I'm going I'm to slay the people of God on Sunday. I can't wait. None. I've never. You know what it really is? Ask my wife. Uh, I don't know. God, if you will please help me. I'm trying my best to just give it to God. And here's what I've learned. And I'm learning as a preacher that sometimes it's not how good I am as a preacher. It's if I could just give the little I got and say, God, here's the best I can do. I'm not a perfect pastor. I'm not a perfect leader. I'm not a perfect preacher. But I know if I put it in the right hands, you can bless me. You can multiply it. You can touch lives and help people. That's the problem. Many of us are frustrated with what God is doing through us because we haven't put what we have in the right hands. We're keeping things in our hands. These are my kids. This is my family. This is my business. And and watch this. It, It feels like it's getting out of hand. Can I tell you today, it's supposed to be out of your hands because you and I gotta surrender it to the hands of God. Watch what Matthew says. Matthew says that Jesus looks at the apostles and says, give it to me. Give that little tiny lunch. Give that little bit of resources that you do have. Give that little bit of a dream that you do have. Put that little bit of joy that you got left, put it right in my hands. It's almost like Jesus wanted them to know that the multiplication of the bread and the fish cannot happen in your hands. I got to get them out of your hands. And I got you to, I got to get you to trust it in my hands. And once you put the fish and the bread in my hands, I could do more with it than you could have ever done in your own ability. But you got to put it in the right hands. Are you with me? When you think about what you can do and the abilities that you have, 
Are we not so restricted? Are we not so limited? Are we not incapable of what we need in life to transpire? And I think God is saying, put it in my hands. You know, if you put a basketball in my hands, 20 bucks, the value of it. You put that basketball in the hands of Michael Jordan, $50 million. That's what the difference of being in the right hands made. You put a tennis racket in my hand, it's $75. You put a tennis racket in the hands of those Williams sisters, it's $75 million. You put a slingshot in my hand, it's a toy in my yard. But you put a slingshot in the hands of King David, and it's a weapon to fight off the enemy. Because it matters whose hand you're in. You put a stick in my hand, it's just a stick. But you put a staff in the hand of Moses when the army is pressing in behind him and the Red Sea is in front of him and he raises that staff and he parts that water. Why? Because it matters whose hand you're in. If you put nails in my hand, I could build a birdhouse. But if you put nails in the hands of Jesus, he could produce salvation and healing and deliverance for millions of people. Why? Because it matters whose hand you're in. And I've come to tell somebody, it's time to put it in God's hand. It ain't yours to carry. It ain't yours to bear. It ain't yours to keep. It's time to turn it over to God and let God be the potter and you be the clay. And let God shape you. And let God determine your future. Am I preaching to anybody? Someone say, put it in God's hands. This little boy could have had 12, 15 fish, 20 pieces of bread when it all started. You know, I was thinking, we don't know if he ate some of this lunch before it came to Jesus. No, could have. Can I tell you something? Put in God's hands what you have left. Put in God's hand the joy you have left. Half the peace you have left. Half the marriage you have left. Half the, half the joy you got left. And I've come to tell you today, if you could put it in his hands, he could do something much greater than what you can do with it in your hands. You know what's crazy? At the end of the story, the Bible says that Jesus takes the bread. He does three things. He blesses it. He breaks it. And he gives it. He blesses it. He breaks it. And he gives it. He blesses it. He breaks it. And he gives. This is just a nugget for you to go home with. This ain't in the notes, but let me just talk to you. All of us are in one of those stages right now. And if you want to be in God's hand, sometimes you'll be in seasons of blessing where you just praise God that the bills are paid and your kids are healthy and God's been good and God is faithful and God is kind and God has helped you through it. This is a year where you got another year with your mama. This is a year where it seems like it's nothing but up and to the right. This is the year where they take the house, uh, they take the, the house offer. This is the year where it seems like God is just so good. But the bread, the bread isn't just blessed. In his hands, it's still broken. 
Here's what I want you to know. If you want to be used by God, he's going to bless you. But you're also going to experience brokenness. Because what happens next when he breaks us, we go through brokenness, he then gives us. You are not useful when you're just blessed. You are more useful to God when you go through seasons of breaking. This is so far off my notes. But can I tell you, if you're in a room today, if you're in this room today and you feel like you have been going through a season of breaking, can I tell you something? You're still in God's hands. And he's going to give you, he's going to give you a way. In other words, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use your story through brokenness. I'm going to give you a way. How could you ever know God heals if you've never been sick? How could you know God that can, God can deliver if you've never been stuck? How do you know that God can, can hold you if you've never been scared? How do you know that God can deliver you and set you free and walk you through valleys if you've never walked through a valley? And what maybe God is trying to tell somebody here today is that you may not, you want to be used by me? Just get in my hands and I'll form you. You may go through some breaking. You may go through some twisting. You may go through some uncomfortable seasons, but that is what I use to impact people. Because the thing is, I've learned if God only blesses us, over time, the longer we're blessed, the more we forget the blesser. That's what God warned in the Old Testament. The moment you got houses, the moment you got land, the moment you got metal, the moment you got silver, the moment you got what you want, the moment you're in blessing, that's when you're the most tempted to forget who gave it to you. But breaking, breaking, my God, I, this ain't, I didn't do this last service. I'm talking to somebody. But breaking has a way of us seeing God like we've never seen him before. And I've come to tell the little boy in the room, the little girl in the room, you got a little, you got a little lunch. And you're saying, God, use me. I was a little teenager asking God to use me. Little did I know he was going to break me, correct me, prune me. There are some of you that you say, God, I I'm tired of the breaking. I've come to tell you this light affliction, which is but for a moment is going to work for you a far more exceeding weight of glory. In other words, what he's doing in you is much greater than what's happening to you. You just hang on because in the breaking, you're about to be given. You're about to be used. Your story's about to be heard. Lives are about to be changed. And he's just waiting on somebody to give it over to him. Eyes closed all over the room and no one looking around. If you're in the room today and you don't know Christ, please don't leave this room without him. He loves you. He died for you. He cares about you. And in this moment, many of you, you've been trying to do it your own way for so long. You've been holding on to your lunch. You've been trying to say, you know what? This is my thing. You know what? I'm trying. I'm in control. You know what? No king but me. But I've come to tell you today, God interrupted your story to tell you that this little Yankee preacher from Orville, Ohio, has come to tell you it's time to give your lunch up. It's time to be done. It's time to quit running. It's time to surrender once and for all to God. I'm going to count to three. And if you've walked away from God, you've drifted away from God, you've never known Jesus, I want to count to three. And I want you to put your hand up, not for me, but for heaven, saying, I am declaring before everybody today at this moment that I need a Savior. I need a saving, and I need him to fix my life. Are you ready? One, two, three. Hands up, hands up, hands up. Thank you for hands. Thank you. Thank you. I see many hands today. Come on, church. Give God praise. 
all over the room, all over the room today. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Put them back up. Put them back up. Seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Come on, church. Give God some glory. Give God some glory. Come on, let's pray this prayer together. Say, dear God, forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean with your blood. Make me new today in Jesus' name. And I'll follow you. And you can use me in Jesus' name. Come on, give God some glory in the house. This lady, you're right there. Just You're right there. You just did this. You're right there. I looked at you a little bit ago, and I sensed uh, the breaking. I don't know your name. I can't even really see you. But you've been in the breaking. But I've come to tell you today, God sees you. And I want to tell you, you are in his hand. Breaking makes us wonder if we're with him. But God says, I'm closer than I've ever been. I'm near the brokenhearted. And I don't know what season you're in, but I want to tell you, be encouraged that today in Jesus' name, you're not out of God's hands. You believe that today? Come on, give God glory all over the house. Father, I pray over every individual in this room that feels like they're in a season of breaking. It feels like they're in a season of trying to figure out what you're trying to do with their life. And Father, I pray they'll have the spirit of surrender and say, anything you can use, Lord, you can use me. Take my hands. Take my feet. You can walk with me. You can lead me and guide me. I surrender everything to you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And this church said... Come on, give God praise all over this house. Come on, let's sing it all over this room. time, I'm going to ask our prayer team to join us across the front. I'm about to dismiss you in just a moment. If you need prayer for anything at the dismissal service, our team is available for anything. If you need prayer for things in your family or in your life, maybe you feel like you've been through a broken season. Let us pray with you in this hour of your life that God can hold you and strengthen you in this moment. If you're one of the people that said yes to Jesus, please make 
effort to come down. We have some material for you. Our team will help you. They'll bless you, help you along your new journey with Jesus Christ. Are you thankful for Jesus today, everybody? Amen. Remind you that you can give on your way out today. Can I pray with you? May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you perfect peace in Jesus' name. God bless you, Vibrant Church.